you go find it, you go hunt for it or whatever Wolf of Wall Street would say in that movie back in the day. Like, it, so that's where the no brainer book comes in. One, one of the pieces. Yeah. Who was the guy who does this again? The, uh, McConaughey. Uh, I don't know his name in this movie just, though. I, I don't know either, but that's, uh, but you we do more of that, right? right? Up in your chest and, uh, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, Good morning, afternoon, wherever we're catching you. Uh, welcome to Mortgage Tech Talks. This is the first ever episode of Mortgage Tech Talks. And in the sense of the inaugural one, we wanted to do something really big, but we just didn't get our, our ducks in a row, I guess, in time. So you're you're stuck with, with me this time. My name is Tom. I am one of the co-founders of Blue Mortgage. I'm going to be your host for these Mortgage Tech Talks. And today... A very special guest, uh, my colleague and friend Massimo, who's also part of Blue Mortgage. So, thanks for obliging me in this uh, in this first episode of Mortgage Tech Talks. Looking forward to to chatting. Not that we don't yeah. do enough already, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure we've been in meetings for eight hours today together. But uh, yeah, no, <laughs> let's make it. A- I'm excited. Right? We we both yeah. love talking, and uh, uh, this will be fun. We've got a lot to talk. Yeah, and and I guess uh, we're just coming back from we're shaking off the dust a little bit too because we're both coming back from vacation. Some of our first ones we've taken in a while. You were glamping, was that right? I don't know if uh, that's the right term. Well, unfortunately, and, yeah, I did <laughs> most of the trip. I was in hotels, but we did try a glamping, which for those that don't know is glamorous camping. I think is what it stands for. And uh, okay, yeah, okay. I'm just I'm yeah. just a fan of having my washroom in the same place and running water. I found it. Yeah, so, water is uh, good. I, yeah, yeah. So I did two days of glamping, and those are my first and last. But yeah, it was a great trip, and I'm refreshed and ready to go. And of course, we both went on vacation at the same time. <laughs> but that uh, happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, let's get right into it here. I mean, I think being the first episode, we do want to kind of chat a little bit about what what viewers, our listeners, I guess, can expect. But really, this this is about. Just talking about trends, right? What are what's going on in the industry? Anybody who you know is passionate about technology, maybe not even passionate about technology, but is a mortgage broker or is in the mortgage space and thinks that technology is a a key or will be a key to their success. You know, this is really for you. And I think something that you always talk about, Mass, and something we want to try and do here is just is just to simplify things too, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, that'll become our slogan. I guess we'll see, but. Uh... Yeah, we, we like to take things and boil them down. And we're both nerds around tech and we watch it and follow it and use it and sell it. So we want to talk about tech and impartial view on what things are happening in the industry and if you should jump on or jump off. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, hopefully jump on. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully more people yeah. jumping on than jumping off. That's yeah. That should be the, that should be the slogan, maybe. <laughs> more more jump-ons than jump-offs. Yeah, there you go. Okay, cool. Well... In, in the in the theme of jumping on, one thing that we're seeing a lot of our clients, and I think something we want to spend a good amount of time chatting about today, is this this concept of of deal desks. So it's something that you know seems to be a bit of a trend. Is something that you know we've been doing this for many years now, and I hadn't heard that term at all in the first couple of years, and and now I'm I'm hearing it way way more. Sometimes it's something that we bring on, but more often than not, it's something that clients. And top, top clients in Canada are coming to us saying, hey, we want to implement a deal desk. And so 
it's a pretty cool concept. It's something exciting. And, uh, you know, I think we're just here to kind of chat about it and break it down a little bit. So maybe to start, Mass, you can uh, tell us a bit more about what, what a deal desk is and what, what can people expect from a deal desk? Well, in the spirit of simplification, I'll try to do my best. And, and sometimes I oversimplify, so feel free to jump in. But as you said, it's typically brokerages that are larger that are taking this on. And essentially what it is, is it's an internal underwriting hub inside of the brokerage is an easy way to think of it. So think of a mortgage transaction, having a sales component, talking to a client, seeing if they qualify, seeing what type of mortgage they want. Then there's an actual heavy lifting or underwriting component where you're going back and forth with lenders, collecting documentation, getting approvals. Uh, Then there's a post-close component typically. But the deal desk is predominantly that middle part. So it allows the the idea behind it, and we'll talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses and benefits and all of that. But I think it came to fruition where brokerages said, listen, we've got internal staff on salary or whatever that can do a lot of the lifting so that our agents can go sell more. So give us your deal once you feel confident about it, and we'll take it home or take it to the finish line. And so might have oversimplified it, but it's an internal underwriting it's kind of a cool concept, and I guess digging into this a bit more, you know, it's um, you know, someone actually tried to do this at a, at like a a Canada wide level. I don't know. I think it was called File Assist was was the company, and I think one of our good friends started it, and it was exactly that idea of hey, let's provide a service that any broker in Canada can reach out, can send the docs in, and, and we can help them do that underwriting portion and we'll say why and the pros and cons and all that but i think it's interesting to see that was kind of the conception i think one of the first examples of it and i think honestly overall it it did good it did bad like all things there was some complexity to it i don't know how active that is anymore but i think that at least planted the seed for now we're seeing a lot more at the brokerage level so not so much networks not so much you know individual maybe sales teams or maybe mastermind groups but the brokerage seems to be the right level. It seems to be where the market's finding that equilibrium of saying, hey, this is the right level. Let's do deal desks here. And and honestly, I think it does make a lot of sense, like we'll get into. So maybe maybe at that point, you know, we can talk about, you know, brokerages, right? So chatting, Mass, I know you're chatting a lot with these brokerages and getting really kind of at the ground level. You know, why are they even doing this, right? I guess at, at surface level, I look at it and I say, okay, well, you know, you provide the normal services a brokerage provides, but why would you add this on? You're just kind of adding more work to your plate. Are you are you charging more? Are you trying to come off as a premium brokerage? Why why even introduce this? Why even bring this to you, your agents? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons. You touched on a few of them. I mean, one of the big ones I would say is a lot of these brokerages begin with a very strong core group of agents that are owners typically or brokers and they have very good processes they invest a lot of time and effort in those processes and then they grow the brokerage recruit more people and basically one of the reasons a lot of these brokerages do this is they say listen i've got really good agents that are really good at selling but they're a mess at collecting docs they forget stuff they miss due dates they have no process they don't have a system whatever That can happen, right? And so they say, why don't we do what we're good at? We use our process that we developed that we got to this point with. You go sell and send us the business. It's like stay in your lane per se. And at the end of the day, that helps the brokerage, right? You make money on every deal that goes through your brokerage. There is also obviously, uh, typically anyways, and I'm not privy to all these numbers, but 
There is typically a revenue play in this for the brokerage. They do charge a little bit more to handle this process. And it's typically a no-brainer type charge to the agent. It's, it's a bigger split on the deal. But now the agent doesn't have to worry about anything. It's going to be compliant. It's going to get done. It's going to go through at all the hoops. And so um, oftentimes these brokerages, as they grow, create a lot of overhead. They have a lot of staff and they want to keep that staff busy and efficient. And so this is a great way to cover that cost, keep processes simplified and, and kind of uh, consistent. And so those are a couple of the ones that I've seen. There's more, but I, I don't know. You talk to a lot too, Tom. Are you seeing any other sort of big benefits for brokerages? Yeah, well, I think the other thing to keep in mind, you know, I think that for a brokerage, or really, I guess the whole kind of value chain from agent all the way up to lender, you know, it's important to think about the different dynamics and a couple key ones, you know, maybe not thought up, thought of so much at the agent level. Maybe the agent's not seen this, but very much at the brokerage level is those interactions, I would say, with the lender and then also with the regulator. So getting into maybe the regulator, which is maybe a bit more of the boring one, but equally important is, you know, for a lot of brokers, ultimately they're the ones that are responsible for their agents being compliant, right? It's a big of course, part of what it means to be a broker. Uh, and so that's not news to anyone. That's a big part of it. And But instead of saying, okay, you, Mr. and Mrs. Agent, you do your process, you collect the docs, you do all these things. And then at the end, we're going to go back and audit it, right? We're going to say, okay, did you do all the things? Did you get the right consents along the way? Show me all your interactions. Now you can get in front of that now. Now you can say, okay, because we know what we need to get at the end, we're going to be the ones auditing this. Let's be smart about it, right? So let's do the things and control a bigger part of that process, especially maybe the part that is under more scrutiny from a compliance perspective. We can control that. We can see that. And so that that brokerage is alleviating that burden a bit, I think, from a compliance perspective. And then the other interaction I talked about too was the, the lender side of things. And so again, an individual agent can interact with a lender, but a lot of times lenders and particularly from a volume bonus perspective, right? So, hey, I do X volume with TD or Scotia or whatever, I get certain bonuses. Those are always aggregated, again, at the brokerage level. And so now if the brokerage is now in more control of that underwriting process, they can be more intentional, right? Of saying, okay, well, you know, we're really close to this volume bonus with this lender, as long as it still makes sense, of course, at the end of the day, you're still making sure it makes sense and you're doing the rest best thing by your borrower. But two things being equal, going with lender A and lender B is exact same for the borrower, but I can choose the one that gets me closer to that volume bonus. And I have that insight because I'm now at the brokerage level. I can take advantage of those types of things, right? So it's, you know, it's some of these maybe lesser thought of interactions at play, that for a brokerage and the value add you can add as a brokerage actually becomes really important. So those are a couple of things, right? So and you talked about the revenue and I guess the revenue, the flip side of it is, you know, the costs that they come with it, right? And the costs would go to the agent, right? So if I'm getting a, a 90-10 split, maybe I'm at an 80-20 split through this deal desk, right? I don't know. Like you said, we're not super privy to those numbers. I'm just throwing that out for an example. So I guess the flip side of it would be, you know, you said, hey, it's a no-brainer for the agent. Let's let's walk through that side of things. So why would an agent even do this? One of the things I think about with this is like, I mean, we deal with a lot of agents and typically agents are really good relationship people, really good salespeople. There are obviously analytical and detail-oriented and 
and very process driven agents as well. But I guess my point is a lot of agents really focus on sales and thrive in that and want to continue that. And when they look at their book of business, there's a lot of pieces in a business, right? There's the actual intake sales, just like any company, there's sales, then there's operations, there's accounting and all of that. And so if you can find a way to take a piece off your plate that you aren't necessarily good at, or that you can put more time into sales, that's what I meant by no brainer. It's like working on your business in a way, right? Instead of in it all day, let the brokerage work in the business and get the deal done. You go find it, you go hunt for it or whatever Wolf of Wall Street would say in that movie back in the day. Like, it, So that's where the no brainer book comes in. One, one of the pieces. Yeah. Who was the guy who does this again? The uh, McConaughey. Uh, I don't know his name What's in this movie just, though. Uh, yeah, I don't know either, but Matt that's... You could do yeah, more of that, right? right? Thumping your chest yeah. and, uh, yeah. and yeah. you know, I was going to swear, I don't know part of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> swear in this podcast, we haven't decided. We'll yet, beep it. Out yeah, we'll know. beep it. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, the, uh, so, so that was one thing, um, focusing on sales. And so now the agent overwhelmingly from what I see anyways, really like that part, dealing with the client, finding solution. And then if they can pass off the part they don't enjoy or they don't excel at, then they can continue growing the business. And then uh, an, another piece is just like, at the end of the day, you can't juggle everything all the time. And so inevitably, it, let's say you were to leave or you were to go on holidays or something like that. Uh, yeah, sure. Holidays. This deal desk is a really important piece of that. And and, and it's funny, like it, it's like this new idea coming up, or at least what me and Tom are seeing. And it's not that new as Tom said, but like, you think of any big company like Apple or whatever, their sales guys aren't installing the computers or building the computers. Like there are divisions within a sales process. And so that part is really important. The coverage, uh, the consistency to the client. Like if you're now off on holidays, the client's still getting emails. They can still communicate with someone. There is an office they can deal with. That's a huge benefit. Yeah. I think that, you know, going back to the the agent, you know, I think couple of things at play there. You know, I think the, the really successful agents, or at least to get, let's say, to your first 10 million in terms of sales. And I think that's kind of the threshold to say, hey, have I made it or not? Is this a is this a long-term, you know, role that I could do? And so, you know, using that as an example, I find those people who are able to get to that 10 million are typically very good at sales, right? And I honestly think that's maybe the, if not the number one thing that an agent needs to be able to do is have a conversation with a client, convince them that they have their best interests in mind and genuinely have their best interests in mind and then give them the mortgage they need accordingly. But then as you get past that threshold, maybe 10 to the 25 million, these people are really good at sales, all of a sudden start saying, well, okay, now I'm getting so burdened down and the compliance, and the doc collection and this, and I tried hiring an assistant and that didn't quite work. You know, that's that can be a big friction point for them, right? To get to that next stage. And so this can be that. And, you know, we talk about it from software, but it can even apply to your own skills is like, find the one thing that you're good at, and then be the best, right? And then find or integrate. Now I use the word integrate from a software perspective, but you could integrate a process, right? You could integrate your business with a deal desk, which can then provide, you know, those other services that you're not maybe best in breed at. And so, yeah, for a lot of these agents who are saying, hey, crush it at sales, but I need some help from the underwriting perspective. And this provides that option. So I, I completely agree with that. And yeah, of course, the coverage on on vacation uh, is absolutely it. And then, like you said, it really does come full circle because if these high sellers, these these great salesmen are able to now just focus on sales, well, now they're selling more, now they're doing more volume, it benefits them. But then 
now it's benefiting you as a brokerage, right? And that cycle continues. And so it almost it almost becomes a bit of a sales pitch for each brokerage to say, hey, we do have a deal desk and we have these things that are just going to make you that much better and that much more efficient in your business. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, I mean, me and Tom, most people listening probably know of us and we're entrepreneurs and run a business and all that stuff. And it's like, to get to the next level in any business, you have to invest in it, whether that be higher staff, which is typical, or build processes or outsource things. You need to get stuff out of your way to continue building. And this almost like, think about the different, like if you could have a deal desk for a certain split on every deal versus hiring three staff, that's probably going to be a no-brainer because now you're jumping right. onto a brokerage-proven process, access to lenders that maybe you didn't have or you didn't have personal skills yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and so like you're getting a ton of stuff with this for a per deal cost. Like there's no such thing as an employee that well, maybe there is, but rarely where <laughs> they're a per deal employee. Right. So um, it's like your yeah. commission, right? It's like paying some of your commission where they only get paid or you're only out of pocket, I guess you could put it that way. Yeah. Once you sell a deal. And maybe that's what you meant by the no-brainer at the beginning. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's part of it, right? It's all it's all contingency based. So now, you know, when there is a bit of a slowdown, or whether it's you just want to go on vacation for a month, you're not selling during that month, but you might still have an assistant on salary. Now, okay, maybe not, right? Again, if you have this this deal desk and you can use that, and it's completely contingency based. So, you know, it's it's making a lot of sense for a lot of agents, I think, and and brokerages. Like I said at the beginning, now more than ever. We've gone from never hearing about it to a lot of people picking it up. So, you know, I think it's going to be something we see very much so in the next, I'd say, couple of months, maybe years. And and it's going to start to be table stakes. Right now, it's a differentiation. And then pretty soon, it's going to get to that point of being table stakes. And then it's going to be, okay, who can do a deal desk in the best way, right? That, that can be the, the arc that we're looking at. And so I guess to that point of doing a deal desk in the best possible way, kind of bringing it back to you know, the tech side of things. What are you seeing some, I guess, I don't know if requirements the right world, but how are people, I guess, using, or it, let's just start with how are they implementing the deal desk? And, you know, you can weave in technology wherever you, you see fit there, Mass, but how do you see these different different groups actually going about implementing this deal desk? Yeah, I mean, th- there are some uh, precursors as we kind of talked about a little bit, like you got to have a good process. There's no point in doing this unless you have one, things of that nature. But I mean, from a technical perspective, typically there's a CRM of some sort. It can be many different ones. But basically, and for those that don't know, basically a database, usually cloud-based, where data can flow in and out. There's a lot of CRMs out there that can integrate with Velocity, FileLogics, all those players, right? And so there needs to be a central tool that you control as a brokerage that you can build your process within that's easy to use, onboarding's good, all that stuff. So that's typically like the the hub. Like I said, it can be many different ones, but you need a process, you need a simple and easy to use system that integrates with all your submission platforms. And, and there's ones out there. Now, right. the next piece is how do the agents communicate back? Like at the end of the day, it is technically their client, not even technically, it is their client. They dealt with them, they found them. They don't want to just necessarily put in a black hole and not know what's going on. So that's the part that is getting the most brain power behind it right now. And I would say there's no perfect solution that we've seen, but we're seeing a lot of people try different things. And essentially, you really have to focus on quick communication, email, SMS, 
either phone calls, but typically email and SMS to the agent as the deal is going through the process. So they still know what's going on because the worst thing that'll happen is you put it in this deal desk. And even if it's working, the client calls you and says, thanks for that. And you're like, what? You don't know what's going on. It makes you look, look bad and all of that. So yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm seeing with the hub. And then the spoke is communication. Now, some people are going even further and trying portals and things of that nature where the agents can actually log yeah, in cool, and eh? see where deals yeah. are. Yeah. And uh, we've been playing with that and looking at that. And it, it's a really, uh, it's interesting. Obviously, it takes adoption from the agent wanting to use another system. But at the end of the day, they're very invested in the client's success. And so a lot of them are logging in, writing notes, communicating back to the internal underwriter. So those are usually teams that want to keep email to a minimum because they get a lot. So they have a process of logging into a portal to see the status. I mean, there's many ways to do this, but I guess the underlying theme there is the agent has to have an easy way to know what's going on with the product. Yeah. And I guess, I guess if you could wave a magic wand, you know, these are some of the things that people are exploring right now. And I think you're right. It's about, okay, how do you make sure that the agent who still ultimately owns the borrower is involved in the process, whether it's, you know, sending an urgent message to the client or get an urgent message from the client and communicating up the chain, that's that's super important, right? That's that's the real hurdle that a lot of people are thinking through. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here, but if you could wave a magic wand, right? And and there's a magical piece of technology tomorrow that perfectly, you know, encapsulates what a deal desk should be able to do. You know, what does what does that look like, right? If you're if we're if we're playing that game a bit, then not, like I said, I am putting you on the spot a bit, but what do you think that looks like? Is it a is it a version of a portal? Is it you know what what is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the in my opinion, with that magic wand and from what I've been hearing, it is a version of that portal. So, a couple things on that. Number one, this magic wand deal desk uh, fully integrates each agent's deals into the CRM. So there are some complications we're seeing from logics, from velocity, yeah. from fin, though yeah. wherever. Okay, yep. yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean, since this deal desk is sort of a new idea, typically agents, if I'm Bob Smith, the agent, I'll get Bob Smith's deals in my system. But if I'm Jim, the broker, and I want Bob Smith's deals in my system, that that's a challenge that's going on in the industry right now. So magic wand there, all the agents' deals would automatically come into Jim, the broker right. system. And then number two, the portal, a seamless portal where Bob, the agent, or I'm getting my names all mixed up. Can log in, <laughs> say Bob the agent. comment, yeah, <laughs> comment, see the documents, be able to upload and download certain pieces of information. That would, I would say, would be the biggest. I mean, the email and the text to the agent is great, and a lot of people do a hybrid. Of That's both. almost like but a mandate to me a little bit, right? It's you know, people are so inundated with emails, and it's tough yeah. to have a conversation through that, right? How you can have maybe a conversation back and forth, but then how does that relate back to the central hub? that we have, yeah. uh, that gets tricky quickly, I think, right? So I, I think that's... I agree, yes. Yeah. Like that, the, that's the, the email is. and the text message should almost should almost be like red flags or alerts that you're trained, mm. you still might miss it, but at least you're kind of trained to only right. ever see this email. But in any case, like that, yeah. it's like a plane, right? You're waiting, you're waiting for your plane. You're still going to check, you know, the Air Canada app or maybe the board, you know, in those airports, you have the board because that has the most up-to-date information and you know, if we're continuing this analogy, maybe you could even, you know, comment, be like, what the heck or whatever. That would be the ideal. 
And then sometimes you get a delay from your flight and they also text you, but you're not texting back because that doesn't integrate with the hub. And yeah, yeah I think that's right. Exactly. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, that, okay. that's the, the perfect solution. And, and honestly, from what we're seeing, these systems are like 60, 70% of the way there. It's not like this is a far-fetched idea. There are some wrinkles that brokers are just dealing with, but for the majority, it's, it's a really good idea and it works really well. And we're seeing both parties like it, so. Maybe even 80%. Well, maybe even 82% of the way that, yeah. And my metric is, uh, (laughs) yeah, man, yeah. No, but, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. It's one of these, like all technology, I think, plays too. It's a little bit of the chicken and the egg, right? Where, you know, it's not enough brokerages are doing it right now. So, you know, a lot of the tech companies out there are saying, oh, we don't quite have that solution in place, but then, you know, the brokerage is saying, well, I don't really quite want to implement this deal desk because I don't have the right tool for it. So it's a very, like I said, like all these things, a chicken and the egg. But once that kind of cycle or that standoff breaks, right, once the someone fires the first shot, then it's very quick, right? That, okay, maybe there is a solution that can really help. And so now a lot more companies are adopting it. And now that solution gets even better and it introduces more competitors and you know, that positive f- feedback loop starts to starts to go. So it'll be very interesting, I think, in the next couple of years. Yeah. Closing thoughts on this, on this mass, anything that, you know, we might want to make sure people who are considering a deal desk want to know about or anything that we didn't talk about from a, from a tech perspective that is cool or interesting? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I have one or two. And the first one, both for like a broker and an agent. And then the second one's more, I would say, for the broker thinking about this. But coming from the brokerage angle, like be very clear as a brokerage. And I've seen this in a few brokerages now where they were not clear. Be very clear as a brokerage that when something comes into a deal desk, the deal desk is handling. There seems to be sometimes, without that clarity, the agent still shopping the deal in parallel to the deal desk. And that can get a bit (laughs) sloppy and make a bad experience or... Uh, anyway, so right. that's something like be very clear on the expectation when you send it in there. You're charging a fee for it to go in there usually as a broker. Like let us do our thing. And then kind of the the second piece, and this is more from a brokerage angle, for the brokerage that we've seen, this isn't as common. It's maybe 30% of the time I've seen this where there's a really successful team in the brokerage. And let's say it's not the brokerage uh, main owners. owners right. yeah. 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 And they just say, hey, listen, we could take more volume. Why don't we be the deal? Although that's technically possible or whatever, hope for a deal or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Agents are usually very hesitant for other agents, even if they're big and have a process to do their deals. So if you're going to do this, have an internal brokerage salary, get whatever. Yeah, they could be licensed, but they're not doing their own deals on the side. There's no conflict yeah. of interest. It right? just creates yeah. some hesitation, maybe mistrust, whatever. And so just make sure you're ironing Especially out those details. Yeah, and if you want, yeah, if you want it to be a success, you wanted to see it take off. These are these are the watchouts I guess agents have, and and brokerages alike. One group I know what they did to your first point of saying, "Hey, I'm Bob the agent. I submitted to the deal desk, but I'm also going to shop it because hey, if I can do this, I can get a better split." You know, they're kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, "If you want to use the deal desk, you're going to commit to it for six months, and in that six month period, whether you use us or not, you're getting the deal desk split." So now there's no, yeah. So yeah, you can go shop it, but you're not going to so get better splits. So you may yeah. as well use the deal desk, right? And it does the other thing too, 
for the brokerage is that it gives them a little bit of the assurances that they get those economies of scale. Because on the brokerage side of things, you know, we're saying for an agent, you don't have to hire someone and, you know, you can save those costs for a brokerage. Well, now they are incurring those costs. So making sure that, you know, you're bringing people on that are going to give you sufficient deals to make this make sense. Right. So I think, I think that's the other side of it. So, well, I think that that about wraps it up. First episode ever of the Mortgage Tech Talks. I hope you learned something. If you do have anything to add, please add it to the comments section. Can you even do comments on podcasts? I think you can. Um, we're going to be learning all that yeah. and we're going to be learning with you. So, world. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> bear with us. So, you also, but uh, thanks so much. Please subscribe. We're excited about this. We want to be committing to, we're going to say it on this podcast, two episodes a month for the first three months. And we're going to see where that goes. And uh, hopefully we can increase that. But thanks again. Please subscribe. Show us your support. We'd really appreciate it. Bye for now. Peace. Yeah. Thank you.